Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, games that respect your time. Uh, I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by three awesome co-hosts this week, including one guest. So starting with our guest, Jupiter Hadley. How are you doing, Jupiter? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And to just sort of introduce our, our listeners to Jupiter, Jupiter does a couple of really interesting things online. Uh, so I became aware of Jupiter first because of her uh, work on YouTube. Uh, Jupiter does a series of YouTube videos. Or she has a channel. We'll link to it in the show notes, so you should definitely check it out. But Jupiter covers indie games, but specifically, she's absolutely the most prolific uh, person on YouTube at covering uh, indie game jams. And she also runs... I'm not sure if you run it exclusively or you just are one of the folks that runs IndieGameJams.com. I'm one of the folks that runs IndieGameJams.com, yeah. Tell me a little bit about... Well, okay, first I should I should briefly introduce the other two folks on the podcast <laughs> before we get too far in here. Uh, Shane Kelly. Maybe. Hi, listeners. I'm here. I'm Shane. Uh, sorry, you can tell that we don't have guests <laughs> on here very often. I never really know what to, to do with it. Uh, Shane and Laura Nash, how are you doing, guys? <laughs> We're doing great. We understand that we are third tier on this episode, and that's just fine with us. <laughs> no, it's, I'm, I'm very delighted to have Jupiter here. Oh, we are really excited. Jupiter, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, I have a YouTube channel where I cover um, a singular indie game almost every day. Um, so this will be like fuller videos of about 30 minutes, including Android games, so mobile games. And then what I'm most known for is my coverage of game jams. So I cover most game jams that happen online, and I play all of the entries to each game jam for about a minute in a sort of compilation first look uh, sort of way, 10 games per video on my YouTube channel, which keeps me quite busy. And I also write for a couple of sites, um, currently Alpha Beta Gamer and Game Jolt's Fireside. Awesome. And I run IndieGameJams.com. We think of ourselves as, a, as, as slightly prolific, having done over 100 episodes of a podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, looking at your output really just puts us to shame. We're, I'm, we're very impressed over here. And just so people who are completely unfamiliar with uh, what a game jam is, do you mind giving a little intro? Because I know not all of our listeners will know what that is. Yeah. So game jams are, well, the ones that I tend to cover happen online, but they can happen online or at a physical location, sometimes both. And basically, someone will host a game jam, so they'll set up a time period in which developers will come together and create a game. Sometimes it's short times, like 48 hours only. Sometimes it's longer times, like a week. And then there are a number of rules depending on what jam, so it can be things like everything in the game needs to be made during this time period or it can be fix up an old game or use a certain engine to create your game and um, everyone comes together and makes games sometimes there's a theme or diversifiers sometimes there's not so there's a big variety Um, but it's a good way for developers to tinker around and make short little games or to try out a new idea and kind of stray away from their main project for a little bit of time or even test out a new engine and this came up on our show because we've covered uh, IF Comp, which is a kind of a game jam, although they don't really call themselves a game jam, but it clearly is. A festival is. is right. what they like calling it. Yeah. Uh, IF Comp is essentially a game jam, uh, and we've covered that every year for a couple of years now. And um, uh, some of our listeners have been asking us to talk about other game jams on the show, and it's not really a scene that I'm deeply involved in. So we're trying to kind of branch out and, and see how we can talk about that on the show, because it's definitely sort of falls under the short game umbrella. And so specifically today, we're going to be talking about uh, Ludum Dare and the most recent Ludum Dare, Ludum Dare 38. 
Jupiter, would you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about Ludum Dare in, spe- in particular, like what it is? All right, so Ludum Dare, or the Ludum Dare, some people call it Dare, some people call it Dare. It depends on how long you've been covering the jam, it seems. <laughs> um, it's the longest-running online game jam. So they're at their 38th jam. They do three or four a year, depending on the year. Sometimes they do mini Ludum Dares, which are ones that happen on the months that Ludum Dare doesn't happen, and they're smaller, not-so-intense versions of the jam. But the Ludum Dare is basically a a two-part game jam. It has a 48-hour competition and a 72-hour jam. The 48-hour competition is more intense. You have 48 hours. You have to work on your own. Everything has to be created from scratch. Your source has to be submitted, and you have to follow whatever theme is picked. The 72-hour jam is a whole lot more relaxed. You can work in teams. You can use pre-made music or assets. You don't have to submit source code. And you have a whole extra day, which is a big deal when it comes to such small time limits. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's the longest-running jam, so there's a huge community around the Ludum Dare. They got nearly 3,000 entries this year, I believe. Yeah, that's insane. It's intense. Would you say this is the biggest of the recurring game jams? Um, uh, so I can't say that because there are two jams that claim they're the biggest, hmm. and I don't really <laughs> know which one is the biggest. So there's um, a game jam that I don't cover and I don't keep up with because it happens at loads of physical locations around the world, and each physical location sets up their own jam page. I don't even remember exactly what the what the title of the jam is, but that one gets a whole lot of entries as well, but it's hard to see a page of all of the entries, so I never know if it actually is bigger because hmm. they're all individual pages. But um, out of all the jams I cover, it's easily the biggest. Yeah, and this is... Um kind of a springboard for a lot of the games we end up covering. I mean, we've a lot of the itch.io stuff we've done came out of a jam or or was inspired yeah. by work done in a jam. I mean, um, when I go to Bitbash here in Chicago, like half the games are game jam games or stemmed from a game jam game. But it's, it's just like the itch.io stuff. It's nice to mix it up with, um, you know, not everything is a polished eight-hour indie that's been worked on for eight years by a mysterious developer which posts once a year whether or not the game is going to get published sometimes you just 30 games spring into existence as winners and it's kind of insane the just looking back at um i think i've dipped in like to maybe four ludum dars in the past um and just i remember every year when i open it up i'm like oh wait the winners and how many winners are there oh god there's a lot of winners (laughs) because there's a lot of entries yep um and you know, it's a little bit hard sometimes, like just like interactive fiction, to know where to start because uh, when you have a short game development period, releasing it on twenty platforms is not your priority. Right. Making a game is your priority. So I won't say buyer beware, but it's um, kind of a nice thing because they're all free, and yeah. it's, it's but it's really nice to be able to kind of just poke around, look at things, um, see if something suits you. And if it's on your platform of choice, and then you can play it right away. Very low barrier to play. And they are also such little condensed. Obviously, you know, if you have to build it in 48 hours or 72 hours, these are games that will take you probably just a few minutes to wrap your head around. You know, Jupiter, when you do your video series on these, uh, you're spending a minute per game just to kind of get an overview of them. 
so there obviously you know if you're into short games as we hope the listeners of this podcast are these are these are ultimate short games these are games that you can get at least a sense of if there's something that's interesting to you in probably a few seconds how do you so when you do your video series on ludumdare you're not playing all 3000 of these are you you can't possibly no. how do you how no, do you go I about <laughs> deciding what to cover or how do you go through them so um, I always wanted to do things a bit differently than other people. So there are a couple of people that cover Ludum Dari, and they pick out the best of the best, and they cover the best games, and that's what they do. And that's great, um, but I take a different approach, and I have a spreadsheet, and I basically put out this like Google form, and I go, if you want your game to appear for a minute, fill out the form, and I'll just first come, first serve, play down it. Um, I've got some options, so if it's like a mobile game, please tell me ahead of time so I have that set up. If it needs a controller, please tell me ahead of time so I have it set up, just to make things easier. But I just play however many are entered onto my sheet. This year, it's looking to be around 550, but I'm at the point in my sheet where there's a lot of um, repeats. Like, people get frustrated that I haven't covered their game yet, so they'll enter their game in two or three times. (laughs) So, not sure what the final number ever is going to be, but it's looking around 550. Man. That's incredible. Yeah, I saw you've, you're up to like 42 videos just about Ludum Dare 38 already. And those videos are 15 or 20 minutes long. So that's, that's a lot of work. Um, it's, mm-hmm. But it's definitely like a community service. I think that the, uh, the problem with Ludum Dare as a, you know, if you're, as a game player is that when you look at a list of 3,000 games, things get scored. But you know, there's all sorts of things that go into those scores and maybe what appeals to you is different from what appeals to the crowd. And there's probably games with really clever, interesting ideas that might not filter to the top of those scores. So Mm -hmm. it's really cool to be able to like skim through a video and see one minute of each of the games. We joked during I have comp, um, one of the most rated, most this the most people rated at games was 16 ways to kill a vampire at McDonald's, which is a really funny game. But we're like, ah, you had a number in the title. You cheat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Like just alphabetization. You, makes you alphabetized first and everyone played that game. So like, oh, it's a short mm. humor game. 15 minutes starts with a number. Everyone played that game and it got like hundreds more ratings than anything else. So mm-hmm. it, it's really wonderful when people cover, um, you know, I know we use it a lot because even in IF Comp, we look to people who've done some rankings because they'll tell us what games are just not worth opening or crash a lot. You know, don't don't even try. Yeah. This is going to take 45 minutes to play because you're and you're not even going to get to play it. So we so, appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Jupiter. you. I try. So I thought what might be a good approach, though, would be for us to talk about just what games did seem to sort of filter to the top, either in terms of rankings or just in terms of what caught our eye and that we checked out and played. And um, obviously, I will not have anywhere near the broad experience of them that Jupiter has, but I've played a few of the games that had filtered to the top of the rankings this year. And we could just talk about a few of them and, uh, and see where that takes us. And I guess what might be a good place for us to start would be with the things that got the highest overall score. And theme was oh, a right. small world this year. Yes. So that was interpreted in many different ways. You know, folks are able to interpret their, the theme in whatever way they want. Um, 
it a lot of these games kind of seem to very tangentially incorporate the themes, but others are really, really specific. And Small Trek was the game that ended up at the top of the overall category, which is just sort of, you know, uh, seems to be whatever got the most positive votes across all however many thousand entries from the compo side of things, or excuse me, the jam side of things, not the overall. The, so this is a 48-hour game jam uh, winner, I guess. Yes. So Small Trek won from the compo side, not the jam The compo. Side. Oh, and the jam me. was I'm, Honey Home. Yeah. yeah, the jam was Honey Home. Here, I should actually pull that up so that I have something to reference. <laughs> this is the other problem that I have with Ludum Dare, or covering Ludum Dare, is their website. I just find it very hard to use. <laughs> I know. We can talk about the drama behind the website. Yeah, I, I noticed there were like multiple links to get to the website, and I was like, oh, <sighs> something's going down. The website changed. This is the first time on the new website, which is why the last jam didn't happen because mm. of this website. Ah. So, so obviously there's a ton of games for us to possibly talk about. What seems to be the best approach for now would be for us to just talk about some of the things that filter to the top uh, of the overall uh, category uh, from the jam and the compo both. Did anybody have a chance to play around with the top jam winner, Honey Home? I did. It was super peaceful. Mm. It's um, it's a little game where you play um, a bee, and every time you uh, dip on a flower, you get another bee. So it's like a swarm type game, um, like Lemmings or something, where you're collecting just you know, more and more of you. But of course, the uh, rain droplets and frogs and flies and other things are trying to kill you. So they'll knock off bits of your swarm. And uh, it's a very peaceful, um, nature-loving game until uh, you die multiple times and they give you a honeybee fact, which I was very bad at it and that kept happening. I didn't um, die, so I never got the facts. <laughs> I, I, I would get very close to the home, and then there was a part uh, where frogs, which would, mm. there would be a stream of like two or three frogs in a row, and the frogs would just decimate me, and then it would be like, did you know the average honey me only makes a fourth of a teaspoon of honey before it dies? <laughs> like this little sad, <laughs> sad bee mm. in a puddle. And it was like, oh. would you like to try again to get your swarm to the hive, you horrible, horrible <laughs> game player. Um, it's it's just charming and delightful and simple. It didn't try too hard. It's it's um, it does what it wants to do very well, and you can get the game in. If you don't like the game in ten seconds, that's the game. It just gets harder. Mm. It was also the winner of the fun category and the mood category for the gem. Um, mm. And I found it to be an adorable little game. I felt that the reason I probably didn't die as much as you is I didn't try to get to every flower. Some flowers mm. I avoided because there were obstacles and I didn't want to risk my current swarm to get more, potentially. I only died uh, twice. And so it wasn't like I, I, it took me ages to get through the game. I'm, I'm, it's not a hard game by any means. I just was a little overly ambitious. Yeah, for something produced on such a tight time frame, the art really does look beautiful. And I just noticed, and I want to mention this, that their their uh, their page with the summary includes a a really nice quotation from B movie. It does <laughs> so hot right now. And something because um, I, you know, pre being pretty basic, went straight to overall all rankings and scrolled down. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that when they look at results, you not only get 
overall score, but you do get the rankings for fun, innovation, theme, graphics. If if you're not sure, like this ranked 97th in humor because it really wasn't trying to do it's a it's a different type of game, but it's number one in mood because it is perfectly chill. Like it's like a rainy day playlist of a game. I spent a good about amount of time with the uh, number one in the overall and fun category from the compo as well, which is called Small Trek. And um, I really liked this one, so I wanted to make sure folks could check it out. This one is a uh, it's a very small kind of puzzle game, but what I thought was really clever about it was how well organized it was. You know, it's uh, the theming is that you're this sort of Star Trek like ship that lands on a planet where there are hostilities between aliens. And you have to, you know, help or solve those hostilities. But the the form that takes is that it's kind of like a little sliding block puzzle. Each planet is very small and the aliens like to be next. So maybe one type of alien likes to be next to plants. Another type likes to be next to rocks. Some of them like to be next to each other. Some of them don't like to be next to each other, that sort of thing. And it's just a small little uh, puzzle game where you're going to slide these aliens around like little tiles and try to arrange them in ways where they'll all be happy. Um, but what I thought really stood out about this one in terms of, uh, you know, in comparison to other stuff I played for uh, Ludum Dare was just how, like, how complete it seemed. Like, this guy really seemed to have taken the time to create a lot of little puzzle levels. I don't know quite how many, but there had to have been at least a couple dozen of them that I got to, and I think there were a lot more. And they were all arranged into different sectors, so you'd fly your ship from one zone to another, and, um, you know, there'd be... It, it it really seemed like a polished, pretty fully-fledged game, uh, which is shocking considering that he only had, like, 72 hours to put this together. And it was one person. No, this is 48 and one person. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, I quite like the idea of a game that's about making peace. I just don't think that there's a lot of games that explore that very much. So, you know, even though this is in the form of a puzzle game, like, I, I, I do like the idea of a game that is all about taking a tense situation and diffusing it. It reminded me a bit of a game I played that was actually from a previous Ludum Dare, I think, called Super Hat Dimension, uh, which is another game about, like, moving aliens around. That game's a little bit more full-fledged. It's come out on Steam as, like, a, a complete game. And I kind of hope that this one does, too, eventually. Like, I hope they expand it, and it'd be great on a phone, for example. Mm, it would. So you mentioned that Honey Home had won for the mood category as well. Yes. My very favorite game that I played out of anything that I played in preparation for this episode was the other thing that kind of won the top of the mood category over on the compo side. And I just wanted to mention it real quick because I spent probably 10 minutes with each of these games, but I spent like two hours with Paisley Princess and I, I beat it. And I'm on brand. Very proud. Very on brand. Very on brand for Reagan. I know it was. Um, so I wanted to make sure we, t we had, I, that I had a chance to tell you guys how cool Paisley Princess was. I really, really liked it a lot. And it's a, uh, it's a game built in Pico eight. We haven't really talked about Pico eight on this show before. And we, it came up when we, uh, when we played, uh, did our five bucks on itch. Oh, I guess it did. Mm. Yeah. Um, episode but uh i think it's worth going over again because i just think it's such an interesting uh interesting little system so i have experimented a little bit with pico 8 but i don't i didn't get far enough to like ex 
really experiment with the actual like coding process of it. I just played around with its music editor. But to kind of explain what it is, Pico 8 is this really neat little, uh, I guess, development tool, but it kind of pitches itself as a fantasy console. So it's a it's a piece of software that kind of pretends to be a very stripped down, you know, maybe eight or 16 bit style computer or console from the like or 80s or early 90s, maybe. So it's a it's a complete development environment. It's got a little sprite creation tool uh, with its own very cute color palette. It's got a music creation tool and then you can write games in it that you can distribute online uh, or as what it calls cartridges, which are actually these cute little like image files that it, you can send to somebody and they can load into Pico 8 on their computer and play it as if it was or a kind on of their a cartridge. mini chip. They have a whole mm, console yeah. that you can physically take around with you that you can load the games onto almost like a Game Boy. Yeah. And it is the coolest thing to play with. Yes, and I've played that at Bitbash, and it's super fun. I picked one of those up because they were, uh, they were like only 50 bucks, and I kind of collect like handheld game consoles, and I haven't really made that much use of it, but it is just an amazing, cool little piece of hardware. The, uh, the what is the thing called? The uh, pocket chip. And the pocket, pocket chip, chip is sort yeah, of their official... <laughs> Uh, official handheld for it and it's it's neat it's kind of like a, a game boy with kind of much crappier controls but a full keyboard so you can use it to uh, and a touchscreen so you can use it to create games with uh, with pico 8 anyway that all is to say that it seems like quite a few things uh, in ludum dare were made with pico 8 and that seems to be kind of a pattern the one that i played the most was this one um uh paisley princess, paisley princess. which is Kind of if you stripped Zelda down to being something that you could play on like a cell phone from the 90s. Like it's a really stripped down game. And, uh, you know, you're moving from room to room within a dungeon. Uh, usually, you, you know, the combat basically just involves like pressing a direction to hit against an enemy and when you do, based on your stats and their stats, it resolves that combat and you either lose hearts or you kill the enemy and collect coins. Kind of works like a roguelike where, you know, you go farther and farther into this dungeon and you um, uh, fight stronger and stronger enemies until you finally rescue the princess. It's really, really good. Like, for something this, like, limited and stripped down, I just found it really compelling. And I, I got all the way to the end. I think I found all the secrets. And that took maybe uh, maybe an hour and a half altogether, I guess. So it's really a pretty, you know, quick experience if you want to check it out. And you can get a, a real good idea of, like, what it's all about within just a few minutes. So you can play it on the web. You don't have to have the Pico 8 software installed or have your own, uh, like, Pico 8 handheld or anything like that. It's a really neat, fun little... Oh, and I should mention the graphics are just extremely cute and well done. Just, you know, very, very much from the sort of Pico 8 look, you know, things made on this system have a very consistent look, but this game just really nailed it. So definitely check it out. Shane, what was your favorite game you played? I got to play around a lot with Krilgore, which I found. Krilgore. Yes. In, in Krilgore, um, it took me a little while to kind of, figure out the basics of the game, but it's it's just sort of a silly game where it's a kind of a navigating a maze and interacting with characters and there's but the 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 character you're controlling, who I believe is the titular Krilgore, is a little microscopic bug. 
and you you have to control this character, but while at the same time uh, finding and and observing them and the the entire world through a magnifying glass that you control with the mouse. So you're um, you're you're walking around with the WASD, and you are looking down into this microscopic world uh, that is just pretty pretty silly, frankly, uh, through a microscope and just exploring in two different ways at once was pretty fun. Um, but what I think I liked about it the best was just that, you know, all these little characters have a little bit of dialogue and it's, it's pretty funny. And I, I had a very good time playing with that. Yeah. Krilgore won, um, first place in the humor category under the compo side of things. And I could kind of see why I played it a little bit too. And I, I couldn't complete it because I ran into a bug that, uh, basically, crashed the game or rather it sort of Reagan the up. game is full of yeah, it's full of bugs it's okay. a game about bugs <laughs> <laughs> that's, play you, it. that's entirely accurate <laughs> literally unplayable yeah <laughs> so so many bugs many of the bugs have have names and cute faces but yeah it uh, I really liked that uh, it the thing that it did that I thought was the, the the cleverest and I don't think I've seen elsewhere is you know you're looking down on the maze from above and at one point, one of the characters says, you know, I can't move on because I've lost my key. And you have to use your little magnifying glass to search. You've got an overview of the entire entire level. And you can search through the, the place and find that key. And it's in a whole different room the whole way across the map. And then you have to use your little uh, tweezers to pick up the key, uh, which is very tiny, and move it and give it to that character. So... It uh, that was really that was kind of a clever idea. You're right, Shane. Sort of exploring in two different ways. You're exploring with the character mm-hmm. Krilgore and exploring with your magnifying glass, trying to like spot uh, details that you don't have access to yet with that like character. It was a pretty clever. Yeah, there, there's sort of an adventure meets Where's Waldo kind of thing going on, and it's also I just I just have to call out uh, the stupid laugh. That the oh, character God. makes constantly. There's sort of a almost Beavis and Butthead esque kind of <laughs> that he that he's he's doing basically at every key press practically. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> at first I was like, ugh, this. And then pretty soon I started to really like but it. Don't you have coworkers who imitate Beavis and Butthead all the time? Oh my oh. God, yes I do. So I have yeah. There's a guy who's like three cubes over from me who just thinks it's the funniest thing in the world, and uh, is always is he a time traveler? Like the two of them. Are just yeah. always, always doing so you it. you trapped him in a video game and made him make sounds. So that's what yes. that's my head cannon. Great. <laughs> yes. I really enjoyed the other game that had won the jam portion of the humor category, and it also won um, the jam portion of the audio category called Snowden. Mm-hmm. And it's I this that too. It's so beautifully done, and it's this um, voiced over game. So it's got a great narrator who's super, super funny, and the quality of that voice acting is so well. But you're inside a snow globe, and you play this person who's been trapped inside the snow globe, this little girl, um, because an, an evil witch has taken her and put her inside the witch's snow globe because witches have snow globes. Sure, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and you have to figure your way out. But as you're going through it and you're shaking the, the snow globe and stuff's changing inside, you meet the only other character inside the snow globe, which is this foul-mouthed badger. Super foul-mouthed. And it's just the interactions between the girl. It, yeah, it's just so funny and trying to figure out little puzzles. And um, it's a very short game, but it's just one of my favorites. I really, really enjoyed the way the narrator was talking about the game as I played it. 
I mean, even in the intro, they say something like, like, and then the witch trapped her in a snow globe with a giant spell that is way beyond the f- 72 hours worth of special effects programming that we take to do. <laughs> like, yes. like, it's just acknowledging the game jam throughout, and it's really delightful. That I mean, is lovely. I personally fell for uh, Super Kaiju Dunk City, um, and Reagan, I'm going to make you drop that soundtrack right here. Done. Because it opens up with a perfect, like, Japanese uh, fake sound. And then I was like, oh, it's going to be some platformer, I don't know. About 10 seconds into it, I realized, no, no, this is a rhythm game where you play a kaiju dunking a basketball on the heads of tiny people. And you hit all the keys to flick the basketball up, down, or even including dunking. I found that to be so challenging to keep up with, so but it was hard. so fun to watch. Uh, it was a really, <laughs> really cool game. I can't wait for this to be on something like, like I feel like this is made for the DS eShop. Like, it's going to be there someday. Um, because it, it feels like a button masher in the way, like, Crypt of the Necrodancer, you can pause. This is like DDR on steroids, except you're kind of murdering things. Um, every time you hit up, it's like you're killing a helicopter and every you know, that kind of thing. Um, X is squashing people with your basketball. It's super satisfying. Is, yeah, squashing people. So um, I guess the small world is, is us getting trampled by the kaiju. It's, but it's super hard. I finished the first level, went to the second level, um, and the songs are quite difficult, and there's a lot and lot going on, but it's so funny, and the music is great, and that's all you really need in a rhythm game, to be honest. It feels so perfectly arcadey. Like, I could see this killing at a Bitbash or another kind of indie game festival where you play for two or three minutes, and the next person can't wait to have their turn. Did any of you guys play... So I was just looking through the categories that I didn't end up getting a chance to, to really look at. Did either of you guys play uh, The Treachery of Game of game dev which one on in uh, innovation i played it and i quite enjoyed it it's a very different type of game so this game jam is perfect for arcade games games that you pick up play for a couple of minutes and then you move on so a lot of the top games tend to be arcade games this has an arcade game in it however i wouldn't say it's an ar- arcade game you start off in this uh, 3d room and the developer's there. The developer is like, hey, welcome to my game. So happy you're playing. Do you like my game? This was the theme of the jam. Everything's awesome. My game's in the other room. Go play it. Don't explore this place. Seriously, just go play my game. Go play it. So you go and play his game. It's this cube. And you push start. And it's like broken snake is what I'd say it was. Um, so you're a snake or whatever, and you travel around. But your tail stays on the block that you were at. So your tail's just filling up the whole room. Raindrops <laughs> spawn randomly and fall down if they hit your like the head of your snake which is red you die if they hit your body they take away bits of your body so you can go back through that square and you just have to collect uh, little black dots they also can hit the black dots and then those dots will go away everything's in cubes it's very very simple and the developer challenges you when you speak to him he goes um my game runs on the game machine tm go play it if you beat my high score come back his high score is stupidly easy to beat it's like six and he's like oh there's a bug i can't beat six but if you play it and you beat six which i did you can go and talk to the developer and he goes oh this is so cool what'd you think and then tells you that you can go to a new game machine 
TM, and that <laughs> will teach you how to code. So if you go up to it, it's like a box, and you can pull over a side panel, and it gives you actual instructions on how to program your own game in this box inside this game with the developer there talking to you. Wow, that's really clever. And it, it was just so cool. And the developer's animations are very sudden, the way he throws his head back and moves forward. But he it's like that little animation instead of a, just a straight character really brought it to life for me, having him there and being so interactive with me. It's a really cool game. I didn't try programming my own game. I looked at it and went, but... <laughs> I mean, we loved Beginner's Guide, and that was all about hacking kind of the code of games. So I feel like we all, um, should, like, we we played so many games about games that it became an honorary category in our 100th episode. So I think this is probably one we should all look at. Yeah. You know, in my, in my day job, I think a lot about um, the gamification of learning. Uh, and it's something that I'm often a little suspicious of because I see a lot of learning professionals who just sort of take uh gamey ideas like you know points or something and just sort of glue it onto some kind of training everyone but, gets badges <laughs> yeah everybody get, get badges and points and gold coins uh but the idea of a game that is itself sort of an examination of how the game itself is coded and then just sort of gives you this sort of invitation to go in and and make some changes and and learn from it that to me mirrors the um, the experience that I think a lot of new devs have when they have a you know maybe somebody falls in love with Minecraft or falls in love with you know some FPS and and then just starts digging through the files to see what does what and how it works and to take that kind of very real experience that is how I know a, everyone I know that has any coding at all started learning pretty much in that kind of a story. Uh, that's a really interesting interesting take on having learning be a part of your game. Yeah, that's cool. Under the innovation category, there's there's one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, which was the top of the compo side under innovation, which you cannot play. You know, most of these games, there's just a link that you can click on and you can play the game usually in your browser or download it. Um, but the game uh, that got the top score on innovation under the compo this year was Planet Attack, which I you know like Planet Attack, but I'm assuming either it's either it's deliberately misspelled or it's in a uh, different language that I'm not guessing what it is. But anyway, well, I um, doubt it was deliberately not deliberately misspelled. Right, I, right. I, I think someone well, would mm -hmm. probably have spell checked their, their title. <laughs> this one they was... probably wanted it to be Planet Attack, but loads of people submitted games called Planet Attack. So like, <laughs> hey, maybe we should respell this. That is a really yeah. good point. We'll respell this, and then it'll work on Google. Well, this is a this is an interesting game because it's played on an oscilloscope. Um, I'm kind of a nerd about vector graphics. I think they're really cool, and I have a own a Vectrex. And uh, for years, I've been thinking about you know I'm going to keep an eye on various. Uh, you know, secondhand stores and things like that to see if I can get my hands on one of those old school oscilloscopes. What those are is that sort of very traditional looking display where there's sound and it's visualized by wavy vector graphic lines on a little display, right? Um, and I've seen demos in the past where somebody created sound, usually music, that when run through an oscilloscope wouldn't just be music, it also would display some graphics. You know, you'd play tones at certain 
pitches and it would create images on the screen of usually very simple stuff like rotating 3D cubes, that kind of thing. And that's very, very cool. And I, I've you know watched a lot of YouTube videos of that kind of thing just because I'm interested in vector graphics. This is the first time I've seen somebody do an actual interactive game in that format. He's got a game that runs on a PC that doesn't actually produce graphics on the PC. It just produces sound that you put into a oscilloscope and it creates the game display and it plays a sort of a breakout clone. It's actually kind of a neat looking breakout clone where it's a circle. So your paddle is on the outside of a circle and you're trying to break bricks that are on a sort of circular area in the middle of the circle and you're rotating your paddle around the outside. Yeah, in the center, I guess that's the plonat that you're attacking. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, it, and it, it's really neat. It's a cool idea because it's a game where the the graphics are their own soundtrack. You know, you can hear, you can go watch a video of this. Obviously, I haven't played it. I don't own an oscilloscope in order to do this. But they've got a really neat video of it running on an actual oscilloscope. And uh, you can see what it looks and sounds like. And it's really cool. And this is a kind of a, I just wanted to mention this because not only is it super cool and right up my personal alley uh, as a vector graphics nerd, but... Like it shows just sort of the diversity of stuff that people do for Ludum Dare. Um, like this is a game that's not even like running as a traditional video game. This has to run on this weird specialized hardware, but here it is. Yeah, that's pretty phenomenal. How do people figure out that this is the this is the area of games that they are interested in in creating for? You know, there's so many so many avenues that people can take these days that you know might have a more direct uh, application, you know, in the world of game development, but, but someone sitting down and exploring these concepts and building a game around them and these kinds of tools and, and, and hardware, that's, that's, uh, I, I, I don't know even why someone does that, but I'm glad they do it. Hmm. Laura, did you play Florasion? I played Florasion. I could, uh, <laughs> Did you play it? No, I didn't. I only got a chance to like look at it. I, um, I've looked at some graphics and video of it, but I haven't actually played it yet. So it's this beautiful, relaxing 3D game where you fly a spaceship that has these like uh, tails almost coming off of them that look like they're made of paper, and that's just adorable, so I'm going to mention it. And you're oh. flying around these worlds that are cracked and almost dead. And as you fly, flower and grass and trees appear from underneath you, and they, they show a path of where you've flown around. Um, and there are some rings that appear, and they're super easy to fly through. They face you no matter what angle, what direction you come from. So you just fly through these rings, and you go around the planet spreading your flowers. And you can jump using these little portal pads to other planets and then see the last planet you were at in the background with however much flower you've left on it. If you completely cover the world in flowers, you get a gem. I don't really know what the gems do. I couldn't figure out a way to use them. Um, but I went around and just covered all of the planets completely in flowers. You can also sort of jump and watch the way your tails follow that. But it's just super relaxing, great sounds, um, 3D game that I, I really enjoyed. I played it before it had um, been ranked, I guess. So before it had won one of the categories or two of the categories. And um, I really enjoyed it. It's on my personal favorites list. I thought it was super fun to play. I can't believe this was made on the kind of timetable that it must have been made on because, I mean, creating 3D graphics of literally anything is, you know, pretty time consuming. And this yes. has lots of detail, things like different types of flowers and mm-hmm. at least Bushes a couple of different trees. types of trees. Yeah. And just animations for everything when you're moving from planet to planet. It's really gorgeous. Now, I think the, the reason that I didn't get a chance to play this one was that, um, 
being on a little bit of a timetable, I was mostly playing things that I could play on my Mac. And this, I think, is Windows only. Yeah. Um, mm. So that if that's a factor for you, that might uh, might. But otherwise, I think this is probably one of the standout things from uh, from this year. It's really, really gorgeous. I'd love to see this eventually kind of fleshed out and ported to other platforms, maybe. Or you know, this would be, a, I think, a great mobile game if they could figure out a way to 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 make that work with the controls. Tell just. Oh yeah, perfect. Um, it works really good with um, controllers. I used my Xbox 360 controller, and it was very responsive to the thumbstick, and it was very fun just gliding the thumbstick around. Awesome. Can I do something super weird and do yeah. a speed run where I just oh, give yes. you a couple of lines through some of my favorites? That just, would be like, great. That's them perfect. That's super perfect. briefly. Love so these might idea. not be the top ones. I'm opening some of them up so I can look at them and try to remember. All right, I'm going to start here. Uh, I've opened up a couple of them. I'm just going to look through here. Yeah, I like that one. Do I remember what this one's about? Sure. I'm going to take off that one. Because I have a whole like list of all of the games that I've played and which ones are my favorites. Mm-hmm. You're so organized. I could never do what you do. It's a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> my whole life is just in spreadsheets. Wait, that also reminds me of our spreadsheets out of date. Oh, yeah. We, need to up- <laughs> we haven't updated our spreadsheet in like four four weeks or more. That's because I got married and no yeah. one else takes care of the spreadsheet. I so know. You're master That's of on you guys for not... Filling in the blanks when I was uh, out. <laughs> congratulations again, Laura. We we could never work without you. I'm going to speed run through these. So are you ready? Yeah. Oh, I'm ready. So out of the selection of games that I've played so far, I do have a lot of favorites, probably like 40. Um, but I'm going to run through a couple of the ones that I've played more recently. I really enjoyed Murder 38, Episode 1, A Small World. This developer has been doing Lunum Dari for a while, and their previous games are just so hilarious, and seeing their game again was great. It's sort of um, a really snarky, almost uh, detective-type game where you're playing this super funny detective, and you get to like look for clues, use the police computer, interview people, and it's just really, really, really funny, uh, especially for like a murder mystery. I liked Ant Detective, which coincidentally is another detective game, but this time you're playing a deadbeat detective who's also a giant ant and can talk <laughs> through, I don't know, like telepathy to other ants, and the other ants give him a hard time because he's a shitty detective. Um, I really liked The Deep, which um, actually scored quite highly, and I played it very, very briefly, but you're this person who's stuck inside um, a submarine and every day you get messages from headquarters and you have to earn enough money through drilling to buy your escape and still survive and sleep and pay for your food and everything so it's um, just a very very interesting game to play there's lots of little uh, mechanics and different um, pieces of equipment you have to learn how to use and use properly so that you can get out of this um, submarine deep in the ocean I also really liked Until Tomorrow, which was another fun sort of RPG, short RPG type game about how you are stuck inside the walls of this tiny world. It's all you've really known and your father has left the walls and it's something that you want to do, but you're not good enough and no one in your town thinks you're good enough. So you find a way to sort of escape and you run into adventurers on their way who are who um, you outsmart, which is kind of interesting because they were the ones let out. And then the ending's a real twist. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but I really, really... It really didn't go where I thought it was going to go anyway. And it was super nice. Um, I really liked uh, Petty Puny Planet 38, 
which was a game where you created a planet and then you get to make some decisions because you are God. And after you make a decision, you wait 100 years to see what happens. This changes both the physical look and the way that your people are on the planet. And it's got such random choices. You can make your planet all be really into anime. You can give them fire. You can... (laughs) Decide that they know how to read. You can give them loads of wealth. You can do nothing and see if they discover stuff on their own. Um, but it ends up looking quite cool. And then you can kill your planet off and, you know, start again, um, which I did a couple of times. A mind is a small place, has a small place in my heart because I know the development team. It was their first loot of Dari, and I'm very proud of the work that they accomplished. It's a 3D game made a game maker, which is very, very hard to do. And it's sort yeah. of a game that touches on a more serious thing on depression. And it sort of explores in an abstract way someone's mind. And there's two different endings um, in my playthrough of it because I did play the whole game. I went to the more positive ending because I knew that there were two endings. But it's a very, very interesting game to play through. It's a very nice narrative experience. Um, my favorite two-player game was Miniature Underwater Polo. It's an adorable <laughs> little game where you play two little, I don't even know, frog-esque creatures that are striped. And they can kind of try to score in underwater. And they're using, like, um, bottle tabs as, like, the goals. And it's just super fun. And it's a great, great game. You have to go up for air in between, like, hitting the ball, which is just a whole other thing to think about. It's super fun to play with your friend. Um, I really liked Brainstorm 38, which was um, a game about making a game for Ludovdari 38, where you're in your head <laughs> picturing your game. And as this person pictures their game, you get to play it and test it. Um, so you're oh. going through the basic stages of there's nothing here. Oh, we should add some enemies. Oh, we should add some platforms. Oh, we should. And that was just really cool to sort of think through and play through. It's got very simplistic graphics and it's really nice looking. Um, I really liked the cash bags, man. When I first played it for a minute, I thought this is a great tycoon-type game. It didn't end up scoring because the developers didn't end up rating anything, so it didn't get a score, but I feel like it's mm. definitely worth a play. You work at the at a hotel, call, um, and you are cash bags Michael. And basically, there's an unlimited amount of guests. You check them in. They all have anxiety and stress. You try to help them. But there's a lot of dark things happening at this hotel. And as you explore your desk and you explore certain people you start to realize that things are not how it seems. If you play it the way you're supposed to play it, if you don't play it the way you're supposed to play it, you get to be a dick to everyone, and everyone's just like, oh, you're a horrible person, and you just get to do that, um, which is also quite fun. Um, Lastly, I really like Tiny Tony, which was a snow globe split into four places, and it's just sort of a really interesting, really quick um, 3D puzzle game where you're rolling around just a metal ball through these different mazes and collecting coins and avoiding dangers, and each area is um, increasingly more challenging. You have a snow area where you just kind of roll your ball around and collect coins and get your bearings, and then like a maze with some enemies, and then you have um, some platforms that are above water and you can't fall off into the water and then i've never made it to the fourth area but you just (laughs) it just looks like um, a mix of all of the other areas together and as you collect coins they appear in sort of an ashtray next to the next to the snow globe that you're trapped in and i just found that to be quite fun awesome 
Wow, that was incredible. And I've I've seen some of those, but others I hadn't even. I guess they were just all over the uh, all over the rankings, and I have not even spotted those. So I will try to make sure that we have a link to every one of those games uh, in the show notes. So for folks who are listening along, if any of those sounded interesting to you, you can head to www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find all of our episodes. On the show notes for this episode, we'll have a link to every one of the games that we've talked about on this episode. So uh, I promise I'll, I'll do that while I'm editing, making a note to make sure that well, I do thank that. you for turning me on to Ant Detective. I am going to I'm going to see if I can get this one uh, in my <laughs> life ASAP. It's got brilliant voice acting as well. It's like a weird um, it reminds me of like the Italians in New York City, you know, like the mobs, the Italian like mobs mm-hmm. in New York City. That's the voice acting. It's like Frankie, you know, you're not going to be a detective. <laughs> what are you doing here? Like, that's how they all talk. It was great. Yes, and the graphics actually look uh, like simple, but but pretty uh, pretty great. You've got uh, the everyone with these ant heads, and, and but just in typical like office type situations. Or, Wonderful. Everyone oh, needs man. a little ant noir. <laughs> well, thank you, Jupiter. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you know we. We're hoping to try to make covering Ludum Dare a regular thing for us. Now, I don't know if we're going to... We're still figuring out exactly how that's going to work. And uh, obviously, it happens three or four times a year. So, you know, we may not be able to cover every one. We'll see what ha- happens. But if you, uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, let us know. We want to know, uh, you know, uh, how best to... Uh, I don't know, talk about this stuff on a podcast. It's, uh, we'll see. Uh, but I think it was really great having you on, uh, Jupiter. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, when, if people want to check you out and if they want to follow along with all the work that you're doing, uh, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Twitter at Jupiter underscore Hadley. If you YouTube Jupiter underscore Hadley, I'm there as well. Um, those are the best places to keep up to date with what I'm doing. Awesome. Uh, and if you want to follow our show, you can find us on Twitter at www.theshortgame. Excuse me. You can find us on the web at www.theshortgame.net and on Twitter at underscore shortgame. Uh, we've got a contact form on the website. That's the best way to get in touch with us. Or, of course, we always appreciate iTunes reviews. That's a, another uh, awesome way that you can support the show. Um, oh, and, of course, you can support uh, Jupiter on Patreon. I don't know if you wanted to mention that, but uh, if you like the work that Jupiter's doing, uh, you can throw her a buck a month or something there and i'm sure that will be a, an awesome, be awesome way to support her work um laura where can people find you you can find me on twitter at laura j nash and shane where can people find you also on twitter at 8 shane oh and of course you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the short game